106.7 WTLC FM Greenwood, Indianapolis. It's time to take a look at what's going on. And and around Indy. It's Open Lines Live. What's going on? From the Race Gilman Northeast Kia Studios on 106.7 WTLC. Good morning to you, Indianapolis. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Brutal, coming to you live from the one hot 100.9. And 106.7 WTLC Studios on Monument Circle on this beautiful Black History Month, Sunday, February 25th, 2024. On the show today, we will talk about Black history, Indianapolis's history, Indiana's history, some of it that you know, but some of it, probably a lot of it that you don't know. We'll talk with Dr. Thomas Brown. You know him from the show Harambe over on our sister station, WTLC AM. He'll be our own in-house historian to take us back through how we got to where we are in the Circle City today. One of the things I've asked him to talk about is education. You ever wonder why there are so many school districts in Indianapolis? Why are there 11 school districts in one city? It all has to do, everything has to do with black history and segregation and desegregation. There was a time Black people were only allowed to go to certain schools only in IPS and within IPS only certain schools that they could go to inside of that district. That turned into a whole federal court ruling. And that's why the city looks the way it is today. Why are there why is there Pike Township schools and Wayne Township schools and Perry Township schools and Washington Township schools and Indianapolis Public Schools and Beach Grove and Lawrence? Why so many? It's all Indianapolis. We'll go through that and, and enlighten you. You probably knew some of it, but you didn't know why it was happening. That's just one of the things we'll talk about over this next hour as we talk about black history in Indianapolis. Dr. Brown will join us here in just a moment on our live line. But first, I want to start the show uh, sending a shout out and condolences to the family of uh, Marsha Lewis, uh, who was the most recent and now retired um CEO of the Indianapolis Housing Authority. She's also the mother of a friend of ours here uh, at the radio station, Miss Erica Pierce, who on the radio is known as Miss E-Class. Uh, Erica's mom, uh, Miss Lewis, passed away uh, of a heart attack. Uh, she had been a longtime public servant uh, all across the country doing things with housing. Uh, she worked for the United States Department of Housing in Washington, D.C., of course, here in Indianapolis as uh, the leader of the Housing Authority in its uh, most recent years. Uh, but she also spent a lot of time down in Memphis running the Housing Authority there, where, as we learned yesterday at the funeral, she uh, turned a deficit uh, down there uh, around, made it a surplus. And 76 percent of the funding that they still use today was found, was found, literally found. She found the funding uh, was found by uh, Marsha Lewis. And so she's been all over. Uh, and as so as the pastor said yesterday, that is a bad sister uh, who we want to commemorate, uh, send our prayers and love out to uh, Erica's family, of course. Uh, but also down in Memphis, she they're naming a building after her, a building that her funding helped build will be a medical center, I believe, for veterans. So uh, the city of Memphis is naming the building that's currently being built uh, the Marsha Lewis Medical Center. So uh, we say uh 
congratulations on on a legacy, but condolences to uh, Marsha's family and Erica's family uh, for all of uh, all the love we send, but all the great work she did for the people here in Indianapolis and around the country. That is a black history fact right there. So fitting to start the show off uh, with that. Black history in Indianapolis continues. Uh, you might have seen it uh, this week uh, on Fox 59. I did a story uh, on um, Tatiana Jones. She is the first black firefighter in Pike Township, first black woman firefighter, I should say, uh, in Pike Township. That story is airing on Fox 59 uh, this week. Uh, you, it's already aired, so you might have seen it. Um, so we'll be talking with her probably next month also to commemorate uh, Women's History Month. Um, never before. A uh, person who looked exactly like her. There are women firefighters and uh, black male firefighters, but never a black woman firefighter there in Pike Township until now. So uh, if you haven't seen that story on Fox 59, I think it's going to air again, but it's also going to be on the website. And then we'll also highlight it here on the uh, radio show probably uh, next week or when she comes by uh, in March for Women's History Month. So before we go on Black History Month, uh, we, we got an extra day this year, y'all. It is a leap year. So the 29th, uh, we got an extra day to celebrate. So we'll spend the hour celebrating uh, here this morning. As I said, Dr. Tom Brown uh, is, is going to be our in-house historian. But uh, if you don't know Dr. Tom Brown, you can get to know him every Saturday morning on our sister station, WTLC AM, uh, on Harambe, which starts at 9 o'clock every Saturday morning. Uh, he agreed to start his Sunday morning uh, on the radio with us uh, this morning, and he's on our live line right now. Dr. Brown, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Cameron. Good thank, morning. Thank you for uh, getting up with us, and a good, great show yesterday. I was listening, and uh, I've been wanting to have you on the show yesterday, and I purposely tuned in yesterday, and I was like, yep, definitely got a call, because I want to have you on the show, because uh, you, you've been around for a moment. Uh, you've seen a thing or two. Uh, uh, and, and I, I, we, as we've talked about the past couple of weeks on this show, uh, it is important to ask about our history. I've asked people to, uh, you know, ask somebody in your family about how you guys got to Indiana, uh, you know, your, your family tree, who's this person, who's that person. Cause you know, we don't, we don't talk about that as much and people don't keep photo albums like they used to. And, um, so in a conversation I was having with my grandparents, we went down, uh, all of the family tree of of how we got to Indiana and uh, who was who was a slave just literally two three generations ahead of me. My great grand my grandmother's great grandmother was a slave. So uh, the things that you learn by just asking questions and realizing, well, that wasn't that long ago at all. Well put, Cameron. <laughs> wasn't long ago at all. So I want to start with Indianapolis history. We talk a lot about education. I heard a commercial before we even started talking about education and IPS schools and uh, the different things. Um, even since when I was in school and even since I started driving a school bus 10 years ago, we used to go up what we would call the northern community. We'd go up north and we would bus in all of the black students. I drove drive for Perry Township, so we had the area in Brightwood. Uh, so we would hit uh, everything from 25th Street up to 38th Street over to Emerson and back down to I-70. That all those kids, which is in the IPS district, for 50 years were sent to Perry Township schools. But you got to go all the way back uh, to the 70s and the 60s, really, uh, during the creation of Unigov and 
uh, segregation to find out why were kids on one side of town being bused completely to the other side. And a lot of people don't realize why that happened. And we actually nobody actually does it anymore because the 50 year ruling on that just expired. You remember that, Dr. Brown? Uh, Cameron, uh, how how well I remember, but I kind of chuckle when you use word called kids. You know, on Harambe, we don't use that word. Kids are goats. Well, you you probably heard me say children are scholars. Our black children were bust, but they they were not kids. I'm just messing with you, but you know how we go. Well, I'll let you have that one, but you'll get a kid or two that's going to slip out on this show again. It always does. It even does it when I uh, interview principals or uh, educators. The word will jump out, kid. And I say, uh-oh. They, and they say, oh, okay, me students. But anyway, back to uh, uh, my dad and mom brought me here from Chi-Town, as we know, Chicago, uh, on, on the south side back in 19, okay, here he goes, 1945. Mm-hmm. I came here, and guess where I went to school? School 26. Uh, at that time, the principal was Mr. Sterling James, and I had some fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic teachers at School 26, which was over there really at 16th and Martindale, 16th Street, uh, known then as Martindale. And, uh, and it was interesting because I'm coming out of Chicago, and then my mom and dad get married. I'm at the wedding and then all of a sudden, guess what? And by 46, 47, I realized I'm a preacher's son. Now, that's something else, being a preacher's son. Mm-hmm. I just throw that humor in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, during, my, uh, during my time in, uh, uh, at school 26, so let's look at from, uh, from 40, let's say look from, from 46 up to 55, and then I end up on, still on the east side, and I go to... I go to Tech High School. Uh, okay, I'm still on the east side. And mm-hmm. at Tech High School, it was interesting uh, because a lot of uh, uh, students I knew went to that great school, Crispus, uh, Crispus Attics High School. I, I went to Tech because it was right close. Well, we were living at 1412 East 17th Street, mm-hmm. right, right there next to St. John where my dad was pastoring. And, of course, I'd, I'd, I'd walk to Tech. And then finally, uh, during that period, it was highly segregated. You, uh, you know, you couldn't, uh, the only show we would go to was on, on Martindale at 19th Street or up on 25th Street uh, at, at, uh, at Douglas, Douglas Park. Mm-hmm. So I'm experiencing then a quite, not the way I'm going to say it, kind of a lucrative black community, mm-hmm. black experience. Mm-hmm. Black identity, the the whole St. John Missionary Baptist Church, when when it was being built, it was built by black laborers, black uh, uh, what you all call cement finishers, black brick bricklayers. I can recall the roofing was done by the Browns, the the brick was done by the cement uh, not cement company, bricklayers construction company of the Warns. And there was the Brinkleys, and there were the Bridges. Uh, all of these dynamic laborers and skilled craftsmen or tradesmen, if you will, was was doing all of that. Uh, we had our black stores, if you will. We had a few a few whites who had stores in our community. You think of uh, that East Side going. You mentioned, uh, like you mentioned, Brightwood. 
Brightwood at that particular time I'm growing up is primarily intense with the black experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're talking all the way up, all the way up until, let's say, around 1962-63, you see some changes, of course. Uh, My dad and I was, I guess one would say fortunate, because I was able to to watch and listen and see uh, Dr. King and all of them in the 50s who would come and visit my dad in Indianapolis. And, and the phenomenal thing was when they get that, Ralph Abernathy, King was 27 years old and I was 15 when he was staying at the house and they had other places for King to stay just for security's sake. And I, call, I would not call out the names of the houses he stayed at because Dad and King had a relationship even before he came to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So uh, during the Montgomery, uh, or what they call the Montgomery boycott, uh, we called it the struggle for freedom. Not we did not we did not frame the movement into what you would call civil rights. Mm-hmm. It was a freedom movement, freedom from what we call economic oppression. Boy, bus boycotting was to break that control of the transportation industry, bring it from a a a, a not just a racial thing but an economic thing, uh, and uh, that's a whole other story about. Mm-hmm economics of the early movement. Uh, but getting to your point, in Indianapolis, see, I left Indianapolis and went south to uh, Marshall, Texas, and ultimately ended up joining the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and that became a whole other learning history uh, for me in understanding SNCC and understanding the movement, because I worked throughout all throughout the South. When you called out the name Memphis and uh, brought up Marshall Lewis when you t- talk about Memphis, Nashville. I was all over the uh, the South as a what they call uh, campus coordinator, organizing students to get into the movement and to demonstrate. So that's, that's a whole other history, too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Uh, ooh, tell me about it. And in, in Annapolis, I would come back and visit because my mother was not happy about her son being in SNCC. My, yeah. my dad said, you do what you got to do. And I did, and uh, she didn't want to have nothing to do with me because I hadn't finished college. And when I did finish, she acted like she never remembered putting me out of the house. (laughs) I said, okay. I said, the reason I was in the movement, Mom, is because of you and you all, sister. She she watched her brother because my mother's very, very light-complected. I don't have to, 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 to say she wasn't. To many, she looked like she was white, mm-hmm. and her background was her her mother was what we call Mama Mia. Mm-hmm. Mama Mia, I had to do her funeral years ago, but Mama Mia was a black winch to a white Irish ship captain. Mm. So he had three girls, and they all were what we used in the term back in that day. The language of that time was she was high yellow. Mm-hmm. You know, you heard that if you're black, you do what? Get back. If you're brown, you what? You don't remember that, Cameron? I'm letting you finish. If you're brown, you stick around. And if you're yellow, you mellow. And the other thing was if you're white, you what? All right. That was kind of like a a mantra of what we call signifying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to that uh, to that reality of 
my mother and her experiences, she watched because she had a, her brother. He was white looking and blind. They lynched him. Mm. And and she and she and she witnessed that at an early early age and ended up being in Chicago with uh, Mama Mia's brother Thomas L. Nicholson, which I'm named after. Uh, uh, and she moved to uh, Chicago and became very successful. When I say successful, in regard to a lifestyle, because my uh, grandfather Thomas L. Nicholson was a, a photographer for the black newspaper up in Chicago. So that was a whole nother experience for her, and she graduated from uh, 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 DuSable. And uh, same thing with my dad. He graduated, and he got caught into the war, and she had me at a, at the age of 18. Now, she, she talked about how she didn't want you to be involved. Uh, you told us she didn't want you to be involved in, in SNCC. But you, you became, um, a, I guess, a, she's your, your dad is telling you, uh, you got to do what you got to do, but she's kind of seeing you as you're stirring up trouble. Yeah, yeah, and guess what city I uh, first got set up in to start my work? Would you believe it? In my first wife, Selma, Alabama, hmm. and and that was before SCLC got there. I'm in Selma, Alabama, learning more about SNCC and working out of Selma because of a certain person by the name. And he's still alive, very popular, uh, now Dr. Bernard Lafayette, uh, came to Indianapolis and was talking him and Chico Neblet came to Indianapolis and was doing a presentation about the movement and uh, uh, before, before 63. Uh, and this was in 62, and they were talking about it. And it me being in Marshall, Texas, Marshall was, was very segregated, man. It, we were... 30 miles from Shreveport, uh, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I'm in Marshall, Texas, and that's Bishop College. So we think of Texas, what I in that time, I, I think heavily segregation in that time. Oh, most uh, but, uh, un unbelievable. But how did, how did that compare? Because here in the North, people, you know, the story that we tell, well, Indiana's in the North and everything was great. How did that compare here? Because you said you were going... You lived right next to Arsenal Tech, but you didn't go there. Well, I went to Arsenal Tech. Now, now think about this. Let's think about the segregation. Arsenal Tech, you know, was a campus. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Uh, still is, yeah. It, yeah, it still is. It was a campus. The The school was integrated, and our, our cafeteria, Tech had a huge cafeteria, one part of the cafeteria, blacks would gather to eat, and on the another part of the cafeteria, whites would gather to eat. Now, that was the obvious separation, segregation, but it wasn't what you would call intentional by, by rules. It was something we did. But at the center, particularly in athletics, I played football, I ran track, and I was a wrestler. The whole athletic program was stone-integrated. And uh, think about it in the 50s. But the school was called Arsenal Tech High School, and I, uh, what was, uh, we were called the Green Clods. Well, when I left and came back, they were called my Tech Titans. But uh, Tech was, was basically integrated, but there was that process where you 
were able to see some of the division because we all lived in different parts of the community when we would leave Tech. We come we come back down. Tech, of course, was on the east side. Uh, on one of the main streets right up from Tech was something people forgot about. Guess what it was? The women's prison. Mm. That, that's a rich history over there, uh, but it Tech was pretty well integrated in the classroom. All of my teachers at Tech at that time, guess what, were white. Prior to then, all of my teachers in grade school were black. And I got to be grateful to that because when you move to the discussion of what you're talking about, what happened in the 60s and the 70s. So let's let's go to the 60s and 70s. So there became, uh, as the nation was moving toward desegregation, um, that didn't go as smoothly uh, as some of the uh, br- brief editions of history books would tell you. Now, um, here in Indianapolis, you were going to Indianapolis public schools because that was the school district of the city at the time. They're outside of the boundaries of Indianapolis public schools, you were not in Indianapolis at that time. So for all of those who, if you live over in Ben Davis back in the day, anytime before 1969, that was not Indianapolis. Pike Township was not Indianapolis. Uh, Washington Township. All the townships were not Indianapolis at that time. So if you went to Indianapolis public schools, that means you you lived in Indianapolis. But there was something happening, one inside of IPS. And you that are. was that you could not go to the neighborhood school that you lived by. You had to go, as you just told us, to the schools for black students. In Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Which were for black people because of how the neighbor the neighborhoods were constructed. Mm-hmm. West side, on the south side, on the east side, and a little bit on what we would call the north and north uh, northwest. But you know, you you. Uh, you, you, you in, in the 60s, you go just so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it's amazing. You you drove the bus to Pike Township. Boy, and, man, and I'm still living over here on the east side. I am about a mile and a half from Martin University. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing and the Pike Township and what you're describing, when I came back to Indianapolis, uh, to do consultant work, uh, I was working as uh, in '68, '69. I was still in grad school, but I was being paid. My dad said, "Are you going to stay in the university system?" And I said, "Dad, I get paid to go to college." And uh, I, uh, during that time, I'm at Northwestern at '68, '60, no '69. Well, no, I'm in. I'm in, wait a minute. I'm in Chester, PA, in uh, graduate school, and then in '70. I'm at Northwestern, and that's when all the stuff begins to take place here in Indiana because I'm coming from Everson down and working with Dad sometimes on the Saturday Operation Breadbasket Program, also working with uh, doing some things in Gary. So I'm pretty mobile and at the same time able to manage because uh, I'm on, at that particular time, was on a Rockefeller grant uh, and a Ford Foundation grant to do studies related to church and community and everything that you're talking about, the the whole integration initiative. 
So as we integrate, there was the fight within IPS to where you can't go to certain schools. But at that time, you wouldn't have dared to go to school outside Not of, a, of Indianapolis public schools. Not by a stretch of your imagination. Uh, do you remember uh, the name of the federal judge? Not off the top of my head, but I know. Uh, take this name, keep it in your head, uh, because he told me Brown, because I'd be on the air at uh, with WTLC mm-hmm. back then uh, talking about school desegregating uh, and uh, Judge Dillon. That was the federal judge, Judge Dillon. And on th- two or three occasions, I was trying to encourage, encourage black folk not to to get into the busing thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that history of how all of that came about is unique in the sense that it was promoted co- consistently mm-hmm. by aid of the NAACP. Consequentially, with us moving into, quote, integration, I was suggesting instead of busing children, bus the teachers. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So let me so let's explain busing for those who who don't know. And and some of you were being bused and you didn't realize it. So um, when you when in all of this. So if Indianapolis has a thing now, it's called Unigov. That's where everything in Marion County is also Indianapolis. There you go. And the thing that was included was the police department. That's why the Indianapolis Police Department is now the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department. You might have just saw literally this week, Wayne Township has decided to merge their fire department with the Indianapolis Fire Department. Mm -hmm. The one thing that has never merged was the schools because then all of the black students and the white students would be in the same school district. And so we have 11 school districts because at the time that was the map. There was an agreement back in 1969 that, all right, we'll let you do this Unigov thing, make all of Indianapolis, make all of Marion County part of Indianapolis fine, but leave the schools out of it. So they did. And so now that's why you have all these, you've got all these quote unquote township schools um, and you've got Beach Grove schools and Lawrence schools and Speedway schools. All of that was supposed to be under Unigov, one school district. Everything in Marion County would have been Indianapolis Public Schools, just like the police department is and the fire department and so on and so on. Department of Public Works. Um, but what Dr. Brown is talking about when it comes to busing is you couldn't they didn't want you to send your kid out there. That's that was the point. Like, no, you're going to keep them inside of Center Township, and they will go to Indianapolis Public Schools. We'll all be one city, but if they live up there, they stay up there. And when that was taken to court, um, a judge decided, oh, I see what we have here. So you, so if you're black, you, can't, you can only go to certain schools inside of IPS, and you can't go to the other schools that are now part of your city because of these township lines. So we're going to start busing the kids from in the inner city of Indianapolis because we're all one city now. Those kids that live in Center Township, we're going to bust them out to your township schools for the next 50 years. So if you lived in Hogville at the time, uh, all the way up, this is uh, uh, busing ended in 20, when the, uh, 2001. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It started, that's when it started phasing out uh, because when I 
when I started driving a bus in 2014, we were still busing students up to the quote unquote northern community. I want to say at least through 20, mm, 2016 was probably our last year because we what they did was they phased out a grade a year so that if you were in if you were already in, you would eventually graduate at, at Perry Township. But people behind you would end up going to IPS. So we would, and I, I remember because we, we would get, you got paid well to drive up because that was highway driving and going up to the north side, fighting traffic, going through downtown. Good times. I miss it. It was fun. Um, but um, they said, we're going to send those kids who live in the inner city. We're going to send you out to the township school. So if you lived in Hogville, you went to uh, Ben Davis. Uh, if you lived in Brightwood, uh, you went to either Perry Meridian High School or Southport High School. Uh, Decatur had, um, I want to say, just west of um, Brightwood. Yeah. So kind of Andrew J. Brownish area. Right. Um, Franklin Township had uh, east of Emerson. Um, and, and and it was those particular schools because those were all white schools. Uh, Lawrence. Um, Pike, Washington, you still had some um, some color up that way. So right. they took the whitest schools and said, we're going to send black kids out. And what you were suggesting is don't send the black kids out. Send the white teachers in. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I tell you who did a beautiful program yesterday, and she would have been an excellent guest. Uh, there's some others, Cleet Ladd and on. Uh, Diane Daniels, who is the uh, executive uh, director of uh, the uh, the uh, program uh, which deals with uh, the Black Indianapolis struggle for educational equity, and Diane Daniels, they did the over here, over here, over here off of 38th Street, where the old uh, the old big soups, uh, supermarket on Tinley Tinley Campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had uh, a whole series of the era of the black Indianapolis struggle for educational equity. And what you just described, you're right, uh, because they had put in writing that in 1969, the federal court mandated the integration of, guess what, of of school staff, followed by the start of what they call Mm intra-district busing in 1972. And by 1981... Force busing expanded beyond Indianapolis public schools to include students traveling, which you outlined, to township districts like Decatur, Wayne, Franklin, Perry, and Warren. And this busing policy aimed at promoting integration continued, and you're correct, but now here's how uh, they they put it in print for 30 years until it ended. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what they said, ended in 201, but during this period, urban school districts, including in Indianapolis, often face negative portrayals in national and social media, affecting the perception and morale of students' parents. But she goes on to say between, which you just said, between 2001 and 2019, dismantling continue for the Indianapolis public schools and the charter school and voucher school movement picks up a little steam. Mm-hmm. But by 2001, two significant uh, events reshaped the landscape of educational policy. The 
reenactment, I guess you may remember, to Still Young, No Child Left Behind Act, mm-hmm. which utilized test scores to identify struggling schools and the launch of Indiana charter schools particularly. And like you said, everything really didn't come down until around 2016. And, and the, her presentation, along with some other professionals here in the city, uh, discuss what I would call the the uh, Department of Education Title One aimed at uh, they were bolstering literacy, math skills, and then you had other organizations. The Mind Trust was established in 2006 to advocate for the expansion of charter schools. What happened? I would put it like this, and of course you can uh, our listeners could challenge education. Think about it this way, uh, Cameron. Education became an enterprise. Mm-hmm. It became big business, and our young people, our children, our, our black children became puppets. Well, the school districts, I mean, we talk about now in um, in, in charter school world, and Brandon, we're going to take a break here in, in just a hot second. Um, but even then, during desegregation, that was fully federal funded. So uh, when we were... Going up, even when I started driving, when we would go up to the northern community, Perry North, uh, you got paid extra for that. And we got we got all kinds of we got big money for buses and all kinds of stuff because it was all federally funded. So, as you said, yeah, desegregation was big business was like, absolutely. Go get them kids. Absolutely. Because they may be black, but they bring the green. So as we go to a commercial break. If you lived in one area of the city, but you were come, and now it's coming back to you that I was bussed all the way across the school, and we were the the only black students in the in the class. Uh, call us, because I don't know if you realize it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you're part of of history. I remember a story with, um, actually where I went to school and where I drive for it. Perry Meridian High School was one of the uh, worst places at the beginning, where people, where the police had to literally. Just like you see the story of Ruby Bridges, when those buses with all the black students rolled in for the first time, those first couple of weeks had to be escorted in the school um, by police officers. Um, and I remember there was a story of a mom who who was the, in that first class and a daughter who was the last class, both graduating from Perry, coming out of um, Brightwood. If you fall into that category, I want to hear some of your experiences. And did you know that? You were literally part of the national desegregation movement, and Indianapolis was a place where it was so bad the federal government had to get involved. We don't talk about that. But that is why we have all these different school districts. That's why we have uh, 11 school districts in one city because of racism and desegregation, and the federal government had to force it. 317-634-1075, We will invite you to chime in, challenge some of the history, uh, enlighten us on some of your own experiences. As we take a break, Dr. Brown and Brandon, let's pay some bills, and then we will come back as we continue to talk about black history uh, that's been happening under a lot of your noses. Uh, right here on Open Lines, we are back on 106.7 WTLC and Hot 100.9 after this.
get back to open lines. Your eye on the community on 106.7 WTLC. Back here on 106.7 WTLC and Hop 100.9, talking open lines, black history on this Sunday morning. Uh, Dr. Brown is back with us. Our Dr. Brown, the phone lines lit up the second I said uh, call. So we're going to go to the phones here in just 30 seconds. But you said something that I don't know if you realize what you said uh, when you were talking about uh, how uh, black students became an enterprise uh, and became money. Um, and you you brought in charter schools and how that fight is now going on today, but that's directly connected to segregation. So let's and slavery. So so let's go real quick to Brightwood. I'm gonna do this in 30 seconds. I want to go to the phones. In Brightwood, there's a school called Him by Her. Well, at least there was. They closed. At Forest Manor. Yeah. Seven blocks from me, man. That school is now closed. But how did that school get in there? Because it was empty at first, right? Forest Manor. Uh, remember, Forest Manor was built fabulous, man. It had an Olympic-sized, guess what, an Olympic-sized swimming pool in that. It's it's right over here. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, it's right over here. I live in Forest Manor. That So that area, as we talked about, that, that school was empty, right? It definitely was. It's empty now. And, yep, because that school closed. But, but And it was empty, so the charter school moved in it. But why, but why was it empty before the charter school moved in it? Okay, that, uh, good, what, what, how people usually say it, that's a good question. The reality was that when they b- put Forest Manor over in there, it became it it became empty primarily because of I would say not the black communities. It's over by Emerson, but there was switching. So many so many students were being still bused. Yes, right there. That's the answer. They were still being bused out of here. That's the answer. That school in Brightwood was empty for so long because the students who lived in Brightwood were being bused to the other side of town to go to Perry Township schools. So, of course, there are empty buildings inside of IPS. And if you're in a charter school at the same time desegregation is ending here in in the 2000s, you see all these empty buildings in these neighborhoods. Well, of course, that's where you put your charter school. It's all actually connected. You connect that on accident. Let's go to the phones um, because that that's a whole whole nother story yeah yeah but it's interesting how it actually all connects uh let's go to the phones 317-634-1075 because the phones lit up as soon as we said let's go uh to have people call so uh let's talk to you guys talk about your experiences did you realize what was going on did you realize you were uh part of history and another fun fact anybody who lives in a district and your kids don't go to ips schools right now you lived you live now in what used to be the suburbs so all those who live out there in Wayne Township and Warren Township and Lawrence and you, you go to North Central and you go to Pike, that's all the city now and uh, Southport, all that, that used to be the suburbs. That used to be outside of Indianapolis. So did. Joe was. All It all connects to racism and desegregation 
and literally our schools in Indianapolis helped shape are, are part of the national story on, on desegregation. But you might not know. That's why we're talking about it. Let's talk to you about it on the phones. Let's start on line three. Caller, good morning. Who's this? Lakeisha. Hi, Lakeisha. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. You're live on the air. <clears throat> um, Yeah, so I was one of those students that was bussed out to Franklin. Okay. And I was in, uh, this was like early, well, late 1999. Mm-hmm. 98, 99, I lived on 40th and Carrollton. Okay, yep. And, I mean, of course I was a kid. I was 12, 13 at the time, and I just felt like this is so weird. We had three buses, like literally three buses that came in the neighborhood, packed us on this bus. We took about a 45-minute ride out to the school. Mm -hmm. And once you got to school, there were maybe one to two black kids per class. Per class, yep. You know, and then you had a couple of black kids that actually lived out in the Franklin and Southport area, but still in the numbers of the classroom, there was still only one to two black children in every class. Mm -hmm. You know, so at that time, um, I I remember a school shooting, and it was like the trench coat mafia, Mm -hmm. you know, and them white kids would come to school with them trench coats. No, I'm like, girl, hell no. No, like, you're not busting (laughs) 45 minutes out here. Then I got to figure out how to get you because I'm at work, and... You know, it would just be like, oh, my God. And I knew, you know, as a kid, like, why are we being bussed out this far? Like, there's a school, Short Ridge is down the street. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's schools around here, and why are we being bussed out this far? I mean, and it was the most racist schooling ever. Did you, did you, when did you know why you were being bussed out there? Uh, Once I kind of, like, got in high school, because I, I went from Franklin to North Central. Okay. And um, we were we were on 46 in Keystone uh, oh. when I started going to North Central. So, uh, like, around that time, you know, I kind of started tapping into things and realizing, you know, like, okay, they, we're, they're getting paid for this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're literally getting paid for us to go in these certain areas for us to do schooling, you know, and it would be like you would be go across the street and your friend across the street went to a whole other school. Yep. You know, and and actually to go back in with what you were saying, I have a 10-year-old child who was a him by her student, and we ah. didn't find out that the school was closing um, till Christmas break. I, mm-hmm. he actually, I picked him up last day of school, and I have an older son who called and was like, Mom, did you know, you know, the school was closed? And I'm like, what school? And he's like, Evan's school? I'm like, no. So we found out through Facebook that the school had closed, mm-hmm. like, and had to search and find another school for these kids. So starting back in the school year, he was about three weeks late into school because now I have to find somewhere to get you in at. Where'd you end up sending you know, him? Which he is now at the Genius Academy. Okay. And wow. for me, you know, I, for me, I love it because it is predominantly black, and I know that we're on this thing about, you know, segregation and things like that. But as a mother and the way these school systems and things are going on, I feel completely safe with my child being where he's at. Lakeisha, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We got a lot of calls coming in. 317-634-1075. Let me hit line two. Dr. Brown, we'll just keep on rolling. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, Cameron, some history right here. You know, when they had the schools to to desegregate schools, right? Mm -hmm. Larry, hold on. Larry, don't hang up. I I think I just muted Larry. Hold on. (laughs) Larry, are you there? Uh, yeah, oh, that was my bad, you know, dog. Go ahead. 
Okay, well, the NAACP was paid to destroy black schools, and their uh, their uh, attorney, Thurgood Marshall, they came out when that decision was reached to desegregate schools in the Prairie, uh, Florida office of the devil and NAACP. Roy Wilkins received a, a box that was uh, wrapped like a gift package. And when he received it, he opened the package because he said it was not uh, heavy enough to contain a bomb, right? Mm -hmm. So then inside the box was a lynching rope with a noose tied. Inside the box, there was a note. You know what the note said? The note said, they tell me if you give an N-word enough rope, he will uh, hang himself. And so and so there it is. Now, what that meant is, is they had told the black people to destroy our schools that were elevating us and educating us in our own communities. They have paid them to destroy that. Roy Wilkins and the gang over at uh, over uh, the NAACP and the Urban League. And also this was 1946, Cameron. All right, about and, 10 seconds. Uh, and, and what what else happened, too? Is uh at, and it's 50 years right since Martin Luther King and the uh the, the Hoover tapes. They're going to release the Hoover tapes on Martin Luther King uh in July the 19th of right. 20, 20, 20, 20, uh, So we're going to find out just what you know. I listened to a podcast. All right, I gotta go, Larry. I gotta go. I got a well, lot of calls. Release those tapes, booty call tapes. All right, Larry. All right, we will. That's what they are. All right, we'll we'll be uh, standing by for that. We'll watch that on your YouTube page. All right, uh, caller online. Lots of calls. I'm try, I'm trying. I'm coming, y'all. I'm coming. Uh, go ahead, Doctor Brown. No, I said do your thing. I'm I'm familiar with uh, Larry. Very yeah, I know you are. I know you are. Uh, <laughs> caller, uh, let me see. Let me get you. I'm coming. Here I come. Caller online four. Good morning. Who's this? Brian. Hi, Brian. You're live on the air. Thanks. Uh, good, good topic. Uh, I, I had the fortunate pleasure of graduating from Short Ridge, and most of the kids uh, that went to Brawl Ripple or Short Ridge in my time, I graduated in 80. Yeah. Weren't the subjected blue devil. To that. Well, yes, weren't subjected to busing because mm -hmm. of the natural integration in Butler Tarkington neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So we didn't go through that. But my other thing is it's off it, it it's on topic but but off topic. The other thing you need to consider or do a a, a, a story is as we merge these fire departments merge same thing same thing the the IMPD and IFD filed a you know a a, a court order or, or filed a suit against hiring of blacks. And so as we merge with these other departments, which are coming up with Wayne, it's diluting the percentage percentages of people like me and you that represent the makeup of the city. So that's, it's doing the same thing. We're still dealing with this, you know, obviously now, but, but I'm just saying that, we need to uh, look into that too to make sure because the townships weren't subjected to the the uh, consent degree. Well, appreciate and, the call. And so that that needs to be looked into because we still got Pike, Decatur, mm -hmm. and the city of Lawrence. Yep, because they they have not uh, opted they, in yet. They did not. Well, they haven't merged, but I'm just saying the percentages mm -hmm. so that the makeup of the composition of the public safety department, 
IMPD, like I said, is a larger force, but at the same time, going down the road, that needs to be uh, explored. All right, you bring up a you. you bring up a point. Thank you, sir. Uh, let me jump to the next caller on line five. Good morning. You're live on open lines. Who's this? Hello. Hello. You're live on the air. Hey, hey, this is Rod. Hi, Rod. Okay, um, hey, good. I was I was uh, I came up on 29th and Ruckel in the Mapleton Fall Creek area. Okay. I went to school 76, which is at 30th. I think it's an assisted living home now, but at 30th and College. Mm-hmm. And so I was bused out to Decatur Central around 80, 81. Mm-hmm. I was in the fifth grade, mm-hmm. and uh, they had buses come out and get the kids that were going to be bused and take us out to visit the school, but the other kids who weren't going to be bus had to stay in school. And so at that point, it basically tore our neighborhood apart mm-hmm. because I'd never seen those kids again. Yeah. So, but long story short, I was supposed to, if they hadn't did the busing, I would have went to Mapleton Fall Creek, which was the middle school, feeder school to Shortridge. And so uh, out at Decatur, the junior high was 6th, 7th, and 8th. In the inner city, it was 7th and 8th. So um, I realized what was going on because we had some of the parents who were bus monitors, Mm -hmm. and they started telling us about um, gentrification and and what what was going on. Because there were riots, like you said. We would go out there. There would be grown people out there throwing rocks at the bus, calling us the N-word. We had the sheriffs escort us into school. And one thing I found, uh, and and I'm going to be short, brief with this, but one thing I found that that was kind of weird was – Initially, when we went out to the school, there was probably two or three black students per class of 30, mm-hmm. 35. And we were made to watch the Roots trilogy. Mm. And that was so uh, because it showed us in the light of being ignorant, broken language. It showed us being in a submissive slavery type condition. And I, I, now that I, I think that was planned, um, it, it was demeaning and, and embarrassing because the white kids would make fun of us. Uh, you know, the actors speaking broken languages mm-hmm. and being in, in, in a sub- submissive um, uh, position. And so I, th- I think that was more of a cerebral thing that they did. Uh, and I did have teachers, you know, calling me the N-word, telling me I wasn't going to be anything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we endured a lot of that stuff. Yeah, uh, we watch Roots in, in, a, in elementary school. Uh, I, I remember that as well. Hey, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. All right. All right, let me jump to line six. Good morning. You're live on Open Lines. Who's this? Greetings, Cameron. How are you today? I'm good, Paul. Getting to the end of the show. Talk to me. I know it. I know it. Uh, uh, greetings to your guests and greetings to everybody. This is an amazing conversation that we're having. I was uh, at the beginning of the show, the gentleman uh, said something about the word kids and how everybody that's been on the show has used that word. And, you know, when I was in school, obviously a kid is a baby billy goat. But <laughs> this, this, is how we, this is how we accept things uh, from these people. Uh, it's amazing to me that the Caucasian race, everything they know, all their math, their education, everything they got from us, and then to turn around and try to teach us like we wasn't nothing. Okay, let me let me do this real quick. The word license, the word license, you can find it uh, in the Black Law Dictionary. Uh, it's the fourth edition. The word license means to do something illegal. It, need, it means to take your natural existence away from you so that you can participate in something illegal. So you guys look that word up. Right. This is how they this is how they this is how they get over on us and control us 
and because we we use these words and we don't know the definition of these words. Right. So uh, these these folks, uh, we've been talking about the school situation for the last two or three years. We bring up the same stuff. All I'm saying is, guys, don't confuse movement with motion. We need to actually physically do something to establish uh, establish ourselves on this planet. All right, I got to stop you right there, Paul. Okay, okay, okay. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you for taking my call, Kevin. All right, appreciate it. Try to get some more calls in before we wrap up here in a couple of minutes. Let's go to caller on line two. Good morning, who's this? My name is Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Turn your radio down for me just a little bit. What's going on? Okay. Uh, I am a natural Hoosier. I have lived in Indianapolis all my life. Mm Mm-hmm. I went to IPS, uh, Riverside 44, in in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And Riverside then was considered one of the better schools. And we hear you on the radio in the back now. Yeah. Well, I'm getting ready to cut the radio down. All right. Cut it down for me. All right, we're get, I'm almost to the end of the show. You said you were at Riverside. Yeah, I lived on 21st and Sugar, uh, Sugar Grove. Uh-huh. The street from the school. Okay, we're we're having some trouble hearing you, and we're getting toward the end of the show. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, caller on line three. Good morning, who's this? Barbara. Hi, Barbara, you're live on the air. Hi, I was calling because I heard what you were saying. In fact, when I went to the school, I went to 2747. But when I got to high school, they bust us out to manual. Mm-hmm. I lived at 12th and Park, right? Mm-hmm. But the people, the kids, my friends did on 13th and Park. They went to Broadway, but they bust us all the way out to manual. Mm-hmm. And when we got out there, I'm telling you, they rioted us, sir. They ride them white people, rioted our buses every day for like a month. Yep, okay. that, that was the South and Side. I, Right, and I didn't agree with that. I wanted to go to Broad River, mm-hmm. but no, because I live on one side of the street, and they and, and they busted the 12th Street people all out there. Yep. But everybody else on the other side, up north side, you know, like 15th Park, they all went to Broad River. Yep. I don't understand that. They, Why would they do that? The, the short answer is they had to create a line somewhere, but they did it right in the middle of some neighborhood. So just like you said, there are people who you lived on one side of the street, you lived on the well, other. We went to two different school districts. Exactly. I don't think that was fair. There, uh, the I mean, we was like we had to. I mean, we would literally had to the police there that literally be out there every Friday. Mm-hmm. They, them people, they would they throw bricks and everything. And what year would you say that was? Uh, Eighty-three. Okay. Yeah. See, uh, the point of this was this wasn't that long ago. Thank you for the call. Do one more call right, before thanks. we wrap up. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Let me do caller on four. Good morning. You're live on open lines. Who's this? Hey Cameron, this is Guy. Hey Guy, we got about a minute left. Guy Ruff. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I just, I just wanted to say that I was looking at uh, some of the the game, the games of the week on TV, and it's amazing the complexion of the teams, how diverse they are now, mm-hmm. which is a result of this uh, upheaval, so to speak, because originally uh, through Attorney John Preston Ward and J- Attorney John. John Moss, they uh, were the spearheads for the federal case under Judge Dillon. Uh, but under the upheaval that took place, 
it seems like things have halfway gotten back to what they should be in terms of diversity in the uh, all the schools of Marion County, even though each school district is different. And the fact that actually there's a, a, a belief uh, among the majority, I think, that uh, uh, school systems should be local rather than uh, consolidated. That also played a part into this. Uh, formula. So it it did. You, you everything you said was correct. And I'll just say when it comes to the, the the issue with that was once you made Indianapolis, once you made Marion County one huge city, then you get one huge school district. If it's going to be local, the city is local. You don't get to make it hyper local, and that's what they did. But the reason was racism. Guy, thank you. And the other thing that you said was also correct um, in that it has made the school districts more diverse. That was the intent. That was the intent was to diversify and to uh, desegregate the schools. But the issue as we go back in history was, all right, was there a different way? Was that the best way to do it? Because you have what you have right now where you have schools like we're going to pick on him by her once again, that area, the kids didn't go to school there. So nobody was going to that school. So you get empty schools because the kids were literally drained out of a neighborhood and sent somewhere else. So now that busing is over, you are looking at some of the effects of that. Yes, on one hand, this is exactly right. On one hand, you've got schools in the outer parts of what are now the outer parts of Indianapolis that are now diverse, but we only did busing one way. We only sent the black kids out. We didn't send white kids in. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why you have the schools on the outside of town that are flourishing, but the schools on the inside are dealing with all these empty buildings because you sent the kids out, but you didn't send kids in. I think we could have a whole nother show about this, Dr. Brown. I, I think I think you are, Cameron. Uh, my daughters uh, were called jungle bunnies. Yeah. In the, in the school system. And you, you, you're dead on target because, remember, I was on the school board in 1990 through 1994, 95. And that's a whole nother story of, as you were saying, as, uh, as Guy was talking about diversity, we enterprise diversity to be profit-making for the white community. It has some effects. We're seeing the effects. And now you know a little bit more of why. Dr. Brown, the music is playing. We got to go. We'll have to maybe continue this conversation on your show on a Saturday at 9 o'clock. I'll be glad to have you on and tell Brandon to keep on doing his thing. All right. Brandon's actually coming up next on Hot 100.9. And we've stole three minutes from Brandon and the Reverend Al Sharpton here on WTLC. We are back same time, same station next Sunday live at 8. I will see you tomorrow morning starting at 5 a.m. on CBS 4 and at 4 a.m. on Fox 59. Have a great Sunday.